Okay, that's Numbers 14. And I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse 24. In fact, this is right in the middle of quite a lengthy passage, which I'll refer to the uh, Numbers 13 and the events in it as well later in the sermon, but um, we're just going to read from verse 1 at the moment. All the congregation raised a loud cry when they actually heard the report of the spies, which I will, I will explain what that was about uh, later. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into a land so full of the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to, to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for their bread for us, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregations said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought us this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they've heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it's because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them to, to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great, as you promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. Please, Pardon the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you've forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who've seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. 
Okay, let's now pray as we look at um, verse 24, but also uh, look into the events leading up to verse 24. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that the things written in your word were written for our encouragement, that we at the end of times, at the end of the ages, may have hope and encouragement and strengthening from your word. Lord, reveal yourself to us in your glory, we pray, Uh, in grace, Lord, not in judgment, but we pray, Lord, that you will speak to us and help us, show us wondrous things in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, basically, this is a passage which is in the middle of the history of Israel escaped from Egypt. Most of us know the story how God delivered um, the hundreds of thousands of, of Jewish slaves from the grip of a tyrannical pharaoh who was basically working them to death uh, and, in, and indeed really was involved in a slow genocide. And God wondrously and marvelously released them from this captivity by miracle after miracle and set them on the way to the promised land that Abraham had been promised. And uh, even uh, in, in the stages leading up to this particular incident, the people of Israel had already showed themselves to be incredibly inconsistent, disobedient and faithless. Um, But here there is the final, if you like, turning point upon that particular generation when uh, the events in this chapter that that we've just referred to happened. You see, as they approached the borders of Canaan from the wilderness uh, or the desert land, I suppose we call it today, between Egypt and what today we would call um, uh, Palestine and, and of course, uh, Israel within that area, um, we discover that the people of Israel sent out spies into, uh, into the, the land of Palestine and the area of what today we would call Israel, the promised land of Israel. And ten of the spies came back with a terrible, a terrible uh, 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 sort of uh, uh, prophecy and prediction of what would happen. And uh, it was really a, a nightmare that they proclaimed. Now, as I said, we really haven't got time tonight to go into looking into chapter 13 in detail, but essentially they were saying, if we go there, we will be slaughtered, the whole lot of us. We found tribes that are giants. Now, probably they, these, these particular peoples were taller than the Israelites, but they weren't gi- actually giants. But the actual, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the the, the tales they had to tell of these fortified cities, their armies, their sophistication, and everything, led to this great outcry and nightmares at night, which I did read from, because uh, Numbers 14 starts off with it. If you want to look, turn back to it for a second on page 143. It, say, it says, the congregation raised a loud cry because of uh, the, uh, the dreadful uh, tidings of these spies that were sent out. Ten of the, ten of the twelve spies. They raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. Had nightmares about where they were being led to. And from those ten people came a mood that swept the whole of Israel. And all of them, or most of them certainly, were grumbling. And uh, 
that word grumbling is used in the Old Testament. Not re- we use the word grumbling talking about, you know, like you're getting older and you have to, have to grumble. Or, you know, someone says, oh, mustn't grumble. But actually what we're talking about here is actually rebellion against God. It's rank ungratefulness. It's a psychological, maybe it's sort of put into words, but it's a psychological accusation that God is not God, that God is, that God is selfish, that God is wicked, that God doesn't have the power, that God is not God. Not giving glory to God. It's the very opposite of, of giving glory to God. And the result is, in a very short period of time, this attitude that these ten spies brought back fermented a rebellion throughout the the, the adults, the adult men at least, uh, of Israel. And this was a a terrible uh, rebellion because they threatened the lives of of, uh, the two spies that brought the good news back, Joshua and Caleb, and they threatened the lives of of Moses and... uh, and the other, uh, Moses' colleagues, who were seeking to teach the law of God. This was a terrible rebellion. And this was a terrible mood that swept the, over the people. Now that is the context, of course, for firstly, judgment coming upon these people. But secondly, for this commendation of um, Caleb himself, uh, and uh, implicitly, of course, Joshua too, uh, in verse 24. And it says of... of uh, of uh, my servant in verse 24 my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully is wholehearted I will bring him into the land in which he went whereas the others although they weren't going to be killed by pestilence there and then which was the possibility um, they themselves would never actually see the promised land you see the judgment uh, upon the people was that generation would simply die out, never experiencing uh, the security and comfort of their own land. They would be a wandering people for the next 40 years. And uh, only those under the age of 20 would actually make it into the, into the promised land itself. Now, what does this mean? You know, that, uh, uh, that Caleb was of a different spirit and has followed me fully as you know, wholehearted for God. And how is it relevant to our lives today? Well, I hope um, to be able to to cover this in a short period of time, because I don't want to uh, have uh, too long a sermon tonight, having um, uh, already spent um, a good time um, with our commemoration of the Lord's Supper. Now, I want to notice this. Firstly, Caleb is commended because he was stimulated by different thoughts to the spies that went out with him to spy out the land. In the old days, um, you know, soldiers were drilled with drums, the drumbeat. And, uh, you know, in ancient times, um, uh, some armies went into war with the drumbeat actually, um, you know, counting out the times of their marching and then when it was time to charge and so on. Um, in, in Europe, uh, the drums were only used in war, actually, from the, the time of the Crusades onwards, I believe. I think they learnt it from the people of the East. Um, but it, eventually, even in the uh, Napoleonic Wars, the drums were used for, for the, the men marching, and then even the rhythm by which they, they loaded and fired their rifles and, you know, and, and dealt with their rifles. And it, it, it was part of the, the mentality of the soldier. 
That's why I've called this marching to a different drumbeat. You see, the thing is, the, the spies beat out a drumbeat of depression, negativity, fear, which coursed through the people. But Caleb heard a different drumbeat. And you know, we as Christians, we have to have a different drumbeat, if you like, guiding our lives. Not the world, not the devil and the flesh, which constantly gives us fears, depression, feelings of weakness in the face of opposition, a feeling that we can't really do anything, a feel, oh, well, I can't really be that holy, so I'll just accept, you know, my failures, and I'll just, I won't fight. But Caleb had a different drumbeat. His was the word of God, the law of God, and the character of God as he knew him. Caleb was there when uh, the Lord um, smoked the Red Sea and, 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 and the two sides of the waters went apart and the, and the people of Israel joyfully marched through um, the middle of these two great bodies of water. He saw this, so did the other spies. The actual children of Israel experienced it. But whereas they combined all of these experiences with unbelief and doubt and selfishness and a hankering after the past sins that they were involved in, the pleasures of Egypt, Caleb had a different drumbeat. He had a, he had a different attitude. He had a different spirit, of course, the spirit of God working within him. And Caleb honored the character of his God. He saw the wondrous works of God were his motivation for the future. Now this is why, as Grace was mentioning, reading, meditating, memorizing, reading Christian books like we've had tonight, it's so, it's so important for us as Christians. I mean, Christian books about missionaries and, and the past can be so helpful in actually setting the drumbeat for our lives, giving us the idealism of, that the servants of God should have. That of seeing that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, primarily through Scripture, of course, but also derivatively through the way Scripture lives in other people's lives, like that lovely woman that we were just hearing about in, uh, in Grace's, uh, Grace's uh, sharing. We need to have this as believers from day to day. That's why it's so important that we get our Bibles out at the beginning of every day. We meditate even if on a phrase uh, for the day or a passage or a sentence or memorize. And indeed, um, as Grace was herself was saying, of storing up uh, in our hearts the word of God. Now, he had a different attitude. Um, he had a different spirit and we also see that he was wholehearted, which I'm going to talk about in a, in a, in a minute. But let's actually look in a bit more detail at the, the spies' reports and the attitudes that the Israelites had. Notice the spies, their report was not based on faith, it was based upon sight. Now, undoubtedly, there were fortified cities in in, uh, in the promised land. We know, of, uh, we know from archaeology the city-states that were um, uh, scattered all over Palestine, right through uh, into Syria, uh, Iraq, and so on. Um, great fortifications, of course. Jericho itself, um, which later was conquered, seemed to be impregnable. So we can understand on one side why they came back with these negative reports. But they were living by sight and not by faith. They were not trusting God's promises. Now when we look at secular 
21st century British society. How impregnable practical atheism seems in our society, or certainly anti-Christian thought, seems entrenched. Seems like we're beating on, a mass, on, a, on massive uh, uh, walls that can't possibly come down. Well, they won't do. <laughs> if we use the arm of flesh, if we think, oh, by impressing people, by our intelligence, or by our wonderful, um, you know, um, presentations of, of uh, musical presentations of worship, or if we can impress people by, um, you know, our, our elaborate uh, worship ceremonies, well, it's not going to do anything. But let us remember, brothers and sisters, we are following the King of kings and Lord of lords. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has conquered. Um, in, the, in the verse that, um, uh, that I read uh, in, uh, on page 144, uh, the Lord, when, he, when, he, um, when he, he pronounces judgment upon the people, he says uh, verse, in verse 21, Truly as I live, says the Lord, as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs in the wilderness and so on will actually enter the promised land. Now, the glory of the Lord shall fill this world. We don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we should not actually have a spirit of, um, of going back, of defeatism, of nightmarism. We shouldn't do what they did uh, to um, actually reach a point of actually being ungrateful. Would that we died in the land of Egypt. I mean, how, does anybody say, oh, I wish I'd never become a Christian? Oh, I hope none of us here ever reach that point where we would say that. That's what these, these men and women were saying. Would that I'd never become one of the Lord's people. Terrible thing to say. But they chose another leader, the devil. But how many of us, you know, they, they said, let's find another leader and go back to Egypt. But they were choosing, really, the demonic. They may not have realized it, but they were choosing what uh, Satan himself was inciting them to do. The Bible, at this point, doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, uh, mention the work of the devil. But, of course, in the, in the history of uh, Israel, from time to time, there is a reference. Remember, um, the devil, Satan, incited um, David to number the people, to have a census and to prove his dominance, to, to uh, proudly want to know the numbers of people that owed him taxes, the numbers of people that owed allegiance to him. And undoubtedly, behind the scenes, it, the devil was working against uh, the, the, uh, the purposes of God and was inciting them to want to, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. But what they really meant was, let's Go the devil's way. Is anybody listening online or anybody here actually ever reached that point where you're actually, you've let sin go so out of control in your life that you don't, and you may not have realized it, but you're actually letting the devil con really control your life again. Many of us maybe have had that experience that we've, you know, we have had times when we've just been out of control. These people went so far that they attempted to murder the people that God had sent to guide them and help them. They were going to stone. They were going to stone Joshua and Caleb. Both men had risked their lives for the people of God, and they were going to stone them. And they were going to kill Moses. Moses. 
Now the thing is, I, I want to, at this point, in talking about what uh, says in the, in the Word of God is, where men despise God, where men despise God, there is a terrible reality, an awesome terrible reality. Now, those of us who are Christians, and indeed even people who aren't Christians, have become familiar with the, the idea of the wonderful grace of God. And even many non-Christians sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, re- a wretch like me. And it is a most wonderful and marvelous aspect of the living God, this wonderful and beautiful grace. And I will talk about it again in a second. But Paul warns us, in Romans, that we always have to hold in mind another characteristic of this invisible reality, which is our God. And this is an awesome and terrible reality. His awesome holiness and his judgment which follows sin in people's lives. Paul says in Romans 11 verse 20, they were broken off because of their unbelief. Talking about Jewish people but you stand fast through faith so don't become proud but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches neither will he spare you note then the kindness and the severity of God severity towards those who've fallen and that doesn't mean just fallen weakly into sin but talking about people who have fallen away from the grace of God, who have despised God, who've turned their back on God. Note the severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Now, one of the things about um, the gospel is that there is good news, but there's also bad news. We, we as gospel evangelicals, we... we and I certainly do on the streets, constantly proclaim the love and affection and kindness of God to the worst of sinners. He, he will take, pick up people from the gutter, people that have done the most amazing, amazing uh, you know, sins. God can still change them. And this is absolutely true. Peter himself, who said, I will suffer, I'll die rather than let you be captured. And he, he ends up denying Jesus within a few hours. But there's forgiveness for people that have messed up. There's wonderful gr- the grace and love of shown in Jesus Christ. But there is also the reality of God's judgment against sin. It's a reality. It's an awesome and terrible reality. In this passage, it referred to the glory of God. The glory of God was revealed. But the glory of God that was revealed when they had threatened to murder Moses and uh, Joshua and Caleb, this glory that was revealed was a glory that terrified them. And I, I would just say that I think it's really important that we pray that the terror of the Lord and ask that the terror of the Lord will come into men and women's hearts when they realize how far they're away from him. Not... To, not, not that we're asking for the terror of the Lord to come upon them so, so that somehow we're getting our own get back on them by giving them the terrors. But no, but so they can see the, the awful situation they're in. We are a heartbeat away from hell. Someone may at this moment be walking through Poplar, has a heart attack, and immediately goes into, into a lost eternity awaiting judgment and then to be cast into hell forever. This is the reality that the Bible proclaims 
alongside the reality of the amazing love and kindness of the Lord. And we may review our lives and think of the times when we've, you know, we've failed the Lord really badly and we've forgotten him and turned against him and disobeyed him. And when we were doing those things, we were, we were ourselves despising God. Despising God. And, and in his grace and patience and kindness, he's been so loving towards us. He hasn't cut us off and hasn't cast us into eternal darkness. But, it, but this is the reality, and it's a reality, as I've said, unfortunately, that from many modern pulpits and many, many modern sermons, you, you have very little reference to. Jonathan Edwards, in the, uh, in the Great Revival, the Great Awakening in, in the United States, he used to read his sermons, he was, he was short-sighted, and he used to read his sermons word for word. And he wasn't a great, um, you know, a, a great uh, preacher in the kind of way George Whitfield was, a great dramatic um, preacher full of all kinds of wonderful um, expressions and tones and affection and love. And, and he, was, he was actually quite a, uh, I suppose you'd say, quite a prosaic speaker. He just used to read these sermons out. But, you know, when he wrote, re- read those sermons out, the fear and terror of God came upon people. And may, may it be that we should pray that indeed the fear and terror of, of the living God will come upon people in our secular world. And they will start to seek the Lord with all of their heart. Because of course, God in his love and pardon and greatness of his pardon will take any sinner and receive them. But they must return to him. But the, uh, the story of the wilderness experience um, for the people of Israel... Um, is, is talked about by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4. And he says, about, he says about them in 1 Corinthians 10, they all drank the same spiritual drink, that is the Israelites, they all drank from the spiritual rock, which was Christ. They, was, they were saved from, from, um, from uh, the, Egyptian, the Egyptian slavery. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. These things took place as examples for us that we may not desire evil as they did. The awesome terror that came upon the people of Israel, the judgments that came upon them, are there for us that we might ourselves not, may not desire evil as they did. And we, we too need to know that fear of God. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 23,000 fell in a single day. That's verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by servants. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. The massive epidemic of grumbling, unbelief, ungratefulness which swept through that Israelite camp that night and the next day they were about to, they were about to kill uh, the servants of God. Now these things happened to them as an example. They are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We need to learn uh, of the terrible failures uh, that can happen in the spiritual lives of people. Now note that 
The people of Israel were not abandoned by the Lord. Moses prayed for them, but of course God had all along intended to spare the people of Israel uh, from complete destruction. But they were disciplined. They had their 40 years in the wilderness. Um, um, I have, I have no doubt from um, the background to, to this passage that God's grace was still upon those people, even though they'd sinned. Um, but there was prayer made, there was um, sacrifice made, looking forward to the, to the sacrifice of Christ, I believe. Um, so they still, though, had to pay the consequences of their dallying with sin and with evil, with their hankering after going back with their playing around with sin. The people were pardoned by the Lord. They weren't immediately uh, uh, destroyed by pestilence. But God actually, um, actually answered their prayer. And what was their prayer? They said, uh, in fact, I'll read what, uh, I'll read what uh, the Lord said to them in verse 28 of chapter 14. As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. In other words, they would die um, of old age or of various other things in the wilderness. No one shall come into this land except those who are under the age of 20. Because they they had actually said to God that... Um, their, their, their women and their children would become a prey. Their women and children would be murdered by these, by these, um, by these uh, people in the promised land. And of course, the Lord spared the children. He spared, presumably, many of the women as well. So that indeed, uh, they were the ones that did, uh, did uh, inherit the promised land. Now, I want us to notice that we as Christians can have a wilderness experience through backsliding. Thank the Lord, it's not usually 40 years. What is the wilderness experience? Well, Paul tell, tells us that the kingdom of God, this is Romans 14 verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the truth is that many Christians, when we have um, backslidden when we've gone back maybe to our old way of life or to older sins or have not, not actually uh, disciplined ourselves to get out of unholy ways well we're deprived of the joy and the peace in the Holy Spirit we're not happy people those who backslide are not happy people and we can't really build we can't really build much for the future we don't, we don't really have much to give to our children or grandchildren or our friends or our neighbours the Lord causes us to lose our joy and peace in the Lord to point out that whatever it is that's, you know, that's caused us to, to be ungrateful to God, to be wanting to move back, to, to go back to the world, to allow, uh, to allow us to, f- to fulfill our fleshly natures. So if we're in that situation, or if we don't want to get into that situation, let's think about Caleb for a minute, just for me to finish on this. You see, we're told of Caleb in this recommendation, if you like, this commendation of Caleb, that, that he, was a di- he was a different spirit, and he's followed me fully. Followed me fully. Now, I see two aspects in this following of God fully, or wholeheartedly um, following of the Lord. Two aspects. One is, in his heart, 
He was fully committed, fervently delighting in the Lord and delighting to do the Lord's will. Uh, Paul says in Romans, doesn't he? I delight to do the law in my inward being. But in my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Paul says that the Christian man or the Christian woman is a combination of two things. A delighting to actually be a Christian, but then there's, there's something that does pull them back they have to fight against. But he says this inner struggle that goes on in Christians is being resolved day by day as we submit ourselves to the Lord and we present ourselves to him uh, day by day. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice and uh, allow ourselves to be filled by the Spirit and guided by the Spirit. Now may the Lord help us each day to be doing this, presenting ourselves to the Lord and uh, to seek to be filled with the Spirit. I mean, you know, coming to church isn't a mere kind of duty, oh, I've got to come to church. It should be a vital experience with us of meeting with the Lord, worshipping the Lord, hearing his word, sharing with other Christians. Delight in fellowship, delight in prayer, delight in those simple things. Uh, But secondly, not only in our inward being do we delight in the Lord and are fervent in wanting to to trust and and love the Lord, but also, of course, in in our behavior. You see, Caleb fully put into effect the laws of God that he had been given uh, through Moses, both the Ten Commandments and uh, the other other laws that, that were would, would, would be given in the future um, uh, from Moses. And he was earnest in really wanting to, 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 to live out this life. He was a man of faith. He was a man of passionate earnestness. And he testified to God's goodness and the fact he's, he is providing for us. While these ten men were casting depression and gloom upon everybody what does Caleb say he says he said to all the congregation of the people of Israel the land which we pass through to spy out it's an exceedingly good land he was a man of faith he boldly believed God would fulfill his promises he said don't rebel against the Lord don't fear the people of the Lord they're bread for us we own them they can't do nothing why their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us do not fear them Caleb was consistent in both his inner attitude to the Lord and also in his desire to fulfill the law of God he wasn't two-faced or double walking I I found that actually Spurgeon uh, did a a sermon on on Caleb and uh, there's a delightful expression He, he says you know he was consistent. There are some people that limp in virtue, but leap in vice. And he refers to a beggar. Um, and it reminded me of a, a beggar that, um, that uh, um, once knocked on my window uh, in a car. And he, this beggar was, was shaking. And, and he was, had the most incredibly pronounced limp. He, his, his, his feet were turned inwards. And the poor bloke, you know, looked like he was going to fall over any moment as he was shambling along, moving like that. And... Uh, Basically, um, I, I, wasn't, uh, I, I didn't actually open my window because I'd seen him before and after. And uh, this same beggar, um, on other occasions, I'd seen him gainly 
happily walking down the street at a high pace, quite happy, when he'd knocked off from his begging. And he just put it on as an act, you know, this kind of begging. And, of course, when he got home, no doubt, when he got enough money to enjoy himself, uh, he, he would uh, probably join in dancing with his friends. And, uh, you know, Spurgeon used that of people that limp in virtue. <laughs> they put on a... They, 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 you know, to them the Christian life is one great big, you know, hard thing, or coming to church, or trying to read the Bible. But as soon as they turn to their own selfish ways, they're having a, a great old time. But that's not what Caleb was like. Caleb delighted to fulfill the the the, uh, the work of the Lord. And the thing is about Caleb, he lived to a ripe old age, forty years or so, in serving God. Well past the retirement age, he was still going into battle. And uh, just finish by saying, let's learn. As, uh, you know, we are, however old we are, um, to really seek to be wholehearted. Wholly given over to God, like Caleb. Uh, As we get older, our bodies get frail. Some of us here, you know, rheumatism. Can't walk quite as fast as we used to, get fatigued easily, feel weary in our bodies. And we might say at that point, well, I can't really do much for the Lord. But actually, God gives us another, another a des- destiny in this life. We may not be able to walk as fast, far, as fast as we could. We may not be able to do street witnessing. We may not be able to go door to door knocking. But God can cause us to rise up with wings, spiritually, as we seek him. And we can smite giants as we pray. Uh, We can learn to be God's winged prayer warriors. You know, hardly able to walk with our arthritis, barely able to do much around the house. But when it comes to matters of the spirit, we are not confined, we are not bound, we are not in bondage to our bodily weakness. There's a great work for you to do. No matter how old you are, no matter how ill you are, there is still a great work for you to do. While the young men and women are out in the open airs or on the doors, you can be with them, praying with all of your heart, swinging the battle air, bat, bat, your battle axe of prayer against the giants of Satan that afflict the young. You can keep the pastors on the straight and narrow, keep them from falling. You can keep the young women from flaking out if you're a person of constant prayer. However old you are, we... we it is possible for the Lord to use you in great and wonderful ways in fighting his battles, like Caleb, throughout your life. Uh, I mentioned uh, on a couple of occasions my friend Joshua from the church at Fryan Baptist Church, who is a paraplegic. And uh, wonderful, wonderful young man of about 21, 22, been confined to a wheelchair all of his life. Can't really use his arms or his legs. But he was out there in the hot sun witnessing to Jesus Christ yesterday uh, to a man who walked by. And uh, what a blessing, wasn't it, Arlene, to see him there? And, you know, the Lord can use us no matter how, you know, you might say you haven't got many abilities or talents. Well, you have, you have got the abilities and talents that the Lord gives to his people, special talents that the Lord gives to, to all of his people. They're called spiritual gifts and God gives them to us. And above all, every Christian has this great, great uh, capacity to pray. So may we learn from Caleb. Let's not, be, let's not march according to the drumbeat of the world, or for that matter, the drumbeat of, 
uh, of some Christians who might might uh, make us feel lethargic, might make us, oh, it's not so urgent, oh, you, you're being overdramatic. No, let's not walk according to that dr- drumbeat. Let's walk according to the, the law of the Lord. Let's have a different spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, filling us and moving us to glorify God. And I pray that for me here, uh, as well as exhorting you uh, to do the same. So let's now just pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for these wonderful examples in the Old Testament of men and women who glorified you in their generation and did significant things for you. And we pray, Lord, you might help us in the years that we have on this, on this planet, Lord, uh, to glorify you. Uh, Lord, help us to be holy. Turn us, Lord, from evil in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.